0: draw your attention to the shepherd, and I just want to talk about Jesus for a few minutes. Can I do that this morning? The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the ability to be in the house of prayer. I asked this morning that you would use my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God and that you would anoint this congregation that they might hear the word with faith and put it to work in their life. We ask that in Jesus' name and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Old Testament gives us a number of pictures that help us to understand the role of God in the life of His people. And one of the most beautiful pictures, most poetic pictures, is the picture of God as the shepherd of the flock. And this is a, 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 a beautiful picture, not only because of the poetry of it and the imagery. The picture itself tells us that God is active in the life of the church. That God is active in the life of his people. And I just want to remind you of that this morning. Our God is not a disconnected, faraway deity with with whom you can have no contact or relationship. Our God is near. Our God is active. He is personally interested in the day-to-day affairs of of your life. Your God and my God is a God who has taken care and concern for you on a personal and a practical level. He is your shepherd. If you study the lives of shepherds and the work of shepherds, you discover that a shepherd cannot just leave the flock all week long and just see them once or twice throughout the week or the month. To shepherd a flock is to be in constant contact with the sheep. To have a healthy flock is to have constant contact with that flock. We have uh, some members of our congregation who are involved in farming and ranching and you know how uh, essential it is to keep up with your flock. Maybe you just care for some chickens but you know even chickens eat every day and most chickens eat twice a day I think. So uh, uh, we have the, the picture before us of the fact that This type of livestock requires attention. It requires care. And God is telling us through that that he's given us attention. And he's given us his care. And David, of course, was a shepherd. David grew up uh, pasturing the flock of his father, Jesse. And so he very well understood the role of a shepherd. And so when he decides to write about God, when he decides to put into words his, his mental picture of how he sees the Lord, he gives us these words that have uh, transcended generations in time and these words that we have quoted at probably every Christian funeral for the last uh, three or four hundred years. But he gives us these words that have comforted us in times of affliction and times of distress. And words which I think this morning are going to help us to understand and draw nearer to the person of Christ and to the shepherd that that is uh, superintending over your life. When David chooses to write about God, he begins to say, The Lord is my shepherd. Now that word Lord, you'll notice in your Bible, is spelled L-O-R-D, all caps. And if you notice that in your Bible, I want you to know this anytime from now on that you see the word L-O-R-D, all caps, in your Bible. It's an English clue. ...of a Hebrew reality, all right? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so the English Bible lets us know that when you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in all caps... ...that it is the very name of God, the very holiest name of God. God has many names that the Bible introduces him by. But the holiest of those names is the name Yahweh. And so when you see the word Lord in your Bible, I want you to just know that the Bible is saying... Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. And you realize that David is saying, Yahweh, this God whose name means to be. God has no beginning. He has no end. He is the self-existent one. Someone asked me, Pastor Isaac, who made God? Nobody made God. God has always been. Before there was a world, before there was an earth, before there was even a, a solar system, before man there was a, there was God. When, when you think about God, you must think about a person, a personality who has existed for all eternity and will exist for all eternity more. It is really almost too much for human comprehension. It is really almost too much for our mind to wrap itself around this thought of an eternal God. Some people like to have a God that they can fully explain. Uh, Some people have a God that they have carved into a block of wood or, or from a piece of stone. But our God can't be described by one simple attribute or another. He is so immense in his power and so immense in his glory that the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament declares his expanse. He is so immense that time itself exists within him. God has no past or present or future. God exists outside of time. He created time itself, and so God can look at your past, your present, and your future and not panic at all because he knows the end from the beginning. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the God who you and I serve, the God who doesn't panic when we panic. He doesn't get nervous when you and I get nervous. He is sovereign. He's in control. And Yahweh is his name. And the Bible says Yahweh is my shepherd. Notice how David makes this so intimate, so personal. He says Yahweh is mine. I have a personal, intimate connection to Him. You realize that David is using a term to to express an intimacy of of communion and connection with God, and he says, He's my God. You know, when you read the book of Genesis, you you read that Jacob had an encounter with the Lord, and Jacob up until this point was really not really walking with God, and the Bible said the Lord came to him and said to him, I am the Lord, the God God. Of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And it wasn't until that moment that Jacob made God his God. And now Jacob could say, I, I am, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob took a, a personal connection now to God. And that's what God wants for you This morning, he wants you to be able to say, Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is my shepherd. I have a personal relationship with him. He is mine. Is there anybody in here that can say, God is my God? You see, until you can say that, you're just living on the periphery, on the outer edges of what God wants for you and him to have together. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. He uses this term to describe the fact that God is like a shepherd. David, I mentioned, was a shepherd. And so David is no doubt having a connection with his own job description. And he's seeing how God fits the, the profile of a shepherd. And I imagine that David has in his mind how sometimes when, when uh, he was out pasturing his father's flock, that a, a lion or a bear would come and snatch away a sheep and, and David tells us when he's talking to Saul he says uh, when, when a lion or a bear attacked my sheep I, I went after the lion I went after the bear he's telling us uh, I couldn't just bear to let uh, the, the beast take my lamb I couldn't bear to just watch him be devoured by this lion and you see in that the conduct and passion of the shepherd that the shepherd is willing to risk his life for a lamb. You know when I when I see a lion, I think I will run. If I see a bear, I I'll, I'll be I'll be out of there as quickly as I possibly can. But David didn't run from the lion. He ran toward the lion. He didn't run from the disaster. He ran toward the disaster to rid of that that to, to deliver that sheep out of the jaws of death itself. Can I tell you, friend, That when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying just like I went after that sheep that was in the mouth of the lion, so the Lord has gone after you to deliver you out of the mouth of the lion and the bear. To bring you and to deliver you out of the power of death and hell itself. Somebody out of Excited about that this morning because our God did not just sit back and watch us be devoured. He said, I'm going to send my son to rescue them, to deliver them, to save them, and to make them my own child. He is then able to say in another psalm, David says, had it not been for the Lord who was on my side, my enemies would have risen up against me and they would have swallowed me up whole but God was on my side is there anybody in here that has a testimony that can say if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have died a drug addict, I would have died in brokenness and fear, I would have died addicted to some power of darkness, but the Lord was on my side the Lord was there and he delivered me from being swallowed up by the power of that beast is there anybody this morning that can say the Lord is my shepherd now David starts to unpack this a little bit and in the first three verses he gives us five of the names of God the first one I mentioned is shepherd that's Jehovah or Yahweh But then we get down to verse 2 and he introduces us, actually the second part of verse 1. He says, I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. Now he's talking about Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The God who meets our need. The God who is our constant and eternal supply. You know, I believe we often think of God with too much of a limited Perspective, we think God is limited in his resources or that God is limited in what he can do, but friends, he is the all sufficient one, he is the God who is able to meet your need in the place of utter impossibility. And he says, If you walk with me, you will want for nothing, if you walk with me, you will not want for peace because I will be your peace, you will not want for joy because I will be your joy, you will not lack provision because. Because I will be your provision. You will not lack health. Because I will be your healer. You will not lack freedom. Because I will be your deliverer. You will not lack power. Because I will be your strength. Come on somebody. He is your all sufficient God. He's the one who says if you walk with me. You will lack for nothing. You know there's nobody you can say that about. Except God. If you try to get your all sufficiency out of your husband, you're going to wear him out. You try to get your all sufficiency out of your wife, you're going to wear him out, wear her out. You try to get your all sufficiency out of your parents, you're going to wear them out. Nobody is all sufficient. God alone says if you walk with me, you won't want for anything. I remember the story of a lady who was crossing from Europe into the United States by by ship back in the days before airplanes, and she had a problem with motion sickness. She was an older lady, and she was really having a hard time with this crossing, and her home remedy for motion sickness was to eat an orange, and I'm sure some of you have your own remedies for that. My, my motion sickness remedy is to eat a pickle, and so... Um, when I, when I uh, have a particular driver who sometimes drives for me and uh, I get motion sick with this particular driver who will remain nameless, but you know him well, I, I always carry a jar of pickles because I know I'm just going to have to deal with this. But this lady's on the ship. She's in the middle of the Atlantic. She did not have an orange. She doesn't have an orange scratch and sniff sticker. She doesn't have anything. And she's, she's sick and she's sitting on the deck of that ship and she closed her eyes and she just said, Lord, I'm feeling really bad and I really, just, I really just would love to have an orange. And when she opened her eyes, there's a man sitting next to her eating an orange, peeling an orange. And he says to her, hello, man, would you like an orange? And he reaches down into his bag of oranges and just hands her an orange. Do you hear what I'm telling you this morning? God says if you walk with me, you will lack for nothing. I will meet your every need. God can bring oranges out of the Atlantic Ocean if he's got to to meet your need. Come on, somebody. He is able. I said he is able. I'll say it again. God is able. To meet your need and you don't have to search too far to know that. Because you are walking daily in your provision from God. Then we read in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now he introduces us to the name of God, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. He, he introduces us to the fact that God is our peacemaker. That he is the one who brings peace into our lives. He paints the picture. And he says, God has prepared for us a green pasture and quiet waters. You know, it's very hard for sheep to drink water out of the Mississippi River. If a, if a lamb falls in that river, it's going to get taken away. But, but he says, I'm not going to take you to a, to a mighty river. I'm not going to take you to rushing water. I'm going to take you to a place of peace. To a place of tranquility. You know, life brings afflictions. Many times, life beats against us like the waves crashing against the shore, and it wears away our strength and our power. Many times, we find ourselves like the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, who the Bible says a gale of wind came up out of nowhere, and the storm stirred up that sea. And the the boat began to fill with water. And while they were trying to bail the water out, they were trying to get the water out of the boat. Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat. Oh, what a picture you see that you can be in the midst of the storm and there's still peace available in the midst of the storm. And they said to him, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die? What a ridiculous question to ask Jesus. If he didn't care, he wouldn't be in the boat. If he didn't care, he wouldn't be on the planet. If he didn't care, he'd still be sitting in heaven. But he cared so much that he came and became a man. And he became flesh that he might dwell amongst us and be our Savior. And he stood up. You remember what Jesus did. It was so dramatic and yet so anticlimactic. He just stood up and he said, Peace, be still, shalom. And the waves stopped, and the wind stopped, and the water became still. And now fear came into the boat. First, the disciples were afraid. Because of the storm. Now they were afraid because of the man who could calm the storm. And they said, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Oh, church, this is my prayer for you. I pray that you will walk out of here in reverent fear for a God who is able to destroy the powers of of every storm and to bring peace into your life in such a way that he just leaves you with your mouth open. What did I just witness? What did I just witness? I witnessed a God who can bring peace to the midst of the storm. And then David says in verse 3, he restores my soul. Now he introduces us to the name of God, which is Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, my healer. That word Rapha implies from its context that God is able to heal by the very sending of his word. The Bible said he sent his word and he healed their diseases. Can I tell you this morning, I still believe that God heals. I still believe that God is able to heal the sick and that God is able to restore the soul. The picture we have there in that word restore is that of a doctor who takes a broken bone and sets it in its place so that it might be healed so that it might restore and and be able to be as strong as it was before. David if you study the life of David he was a wounded man. David uh, was a man who was really uh, suffering from father wounds. I don't know if you know what father wounds are but uh, many people carry them basically the the inability of human fathers to meet the needs of their children often leaves their children with wounds and scars from their from their fathers who didn't speak the right words over their life or or who didn't uh, encourage the, the, the development of that son or that daughter and many times, The words that you should have heard weren't the words you heard. And some of you heard words that were curses and that were were downgrading. Words that said you'll never amount to anything. And you're stupid and you will always be this way. And you're never going to be anything. And those words have wounded you. And David was that kind of a man. He was a wounded man. He had the wounds that had been given to him by his father Jesse. There's a picture in the Bible where there's a big party at Jesse's house. Samuel the prophet has come to town. And when Samuel the prophet came to town, this was a big deal. And everybody was invited to the house except for David. Now just think about that. Some of you have had those kinds of wounds in your family. Where everybody got invited except for you. Where everybody was told, hey, let's come over to the house. We're going to have a barbecue. Samuel has come to town, and he's going to anoint somebody to be king. And they thought about everybody, but they didn't think about David. And you got to wonder about David. He might have thought, you know, I can understand my my brothers forgetting me. I can understand that because I'm the little brother, and big brothers always have a problem with the little brother. I can understand that, but I can't understand my dad forgetting me. And you know there's a rumor in the Old Testament, if you really read carefully, the rumor is that David was not actually Jesse's son. And David writes about it in the psalm, and he says, In sin did my mother conceive me. We know that isn't true because Jesus is of the line and lineage of the tribe of Judah and of the line and lineage of David uh, through Jesse. But that rumor was over his family. It was over his life. And so David grows up. Being that kind of boy that gets left out. Then you see him go a little further. And now he comes under the leadership of King Saul. And Saul was now like a father figure to David. And the Bible said that they went out and came in together. And David would play music for Saul. So that he could calm his demons down. And and David had that kind of relationship with Saul. That that a man uh, would have with his mentor. But then one day jealousy came over Saul. And he, he tried to pin David to a wall. With a spear, I'll tell you what, if you try to pin somebody to the wall with a spear, that tends to hurt a little bit. It just Let's just be honest this morning. That tends to leave a, a soul wound in the heart. When I was a kid, they said sticks and, d- and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That was a lie, wasn't it? Uh, you will heal from sticks and stones, but words can be a hard thing to overcome. And then David had another man in his life who was Samuel, the prophet of God, the man who anointed him as a young boy. And then the Bible said that Samuel died. And David wept over Samuel because Samuel had become his spiritual father. And now he had suffered the loss of Jesse, and he suffered the loss of Saul, and he suffered the loss of Samuel. But then he comes down to write, and he puts all of this into perspective. And he must have thought, you know, Jesse didn't get it quite right. And and Samuel, or Saul, sure enough, didn't get it right. And, And Samuel was good, but he was just an old man, and he died. But the Lord, he's been my father. He's been the one to restore my wounds. He's the one that has set my bones from the breaking. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God who can get down to the deepest infirmity of the soul. God wants to make you whole. He wants to make you complete. And when you get a relationship with God the Father, it heals those wounds left by your own father. He says, the Lord is Rapha to me. He is my healer. He restores not just my body but my soul. The Bible says that a disappointed soul, no one can stand. Think about that. You can, listen, you can be, you can have a broken leg and a broken arm, and and if your team is about to win the Super Bowl, you'll stand up. (laughs) But when your soul is broken, You can be healthy, whole, financially stable, good wife, good kids, and you can't get up. A broken spirit who can stand. David said he's not just interested in restoring my body, he's interested in restoring my soul. And then he tells us he leads me in paths Of righteousness. This is Jehovah or Yahweh Sidkanu, The Lord my righteousness. Listen friends. When I say that God is righteous. That God is just. It should have a dual effect. Number one. If you're not a believer. When you hear a preacher say that God is just. You ought to be a little bit afraid of that. Because the Bible tells us that there's coming a day. When the unrighteous are going to be judged by a holy God. And you're going to stand before him in judgment. And his judgment will be righteous. It won't be cruel. It won't be contrived. It will be just. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, can I just tell you, come to Jesus. Because Jesus can forgive you of your sin. And Jesus can make you right before God. Because on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. That you might have freedom from the power of the wrath of God. And you might become the righteousness of God in him. And so for the believer, when we hear that God is righteous, it's not something we dread. It's something we celebrate. Because it means that our God is a consistent God. That he doesn't change based on his mood or his uh, or, or, or His. Uh, moment but he is consistent and he's just Let me tell you this for a moment. You might be feeling like right now the unjust are getting ahead and you look around and you say, everybody around me that's not serving God, everybody around me that's boozing and doing drugs, uh, everybody around me that's ignoring the, the, the Lord is living it up and I just can't seem to get ahead. Don't worry about that. God is just and when God decides to, he will tip the scale and make sure that you get the reward that he has promised for your life. Jesus said, behold Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Let me tell you guys, God is an excellent accountant. He will balance the books in the end, and the righteous will see the blessing of God, the, the, the provision of God because of his righteousness. Now, something unique happens here in the next verse. If you have your Bible open, look at this with me because this is so important. Verse 4, there's a shift in how, uh, how David is speaking. He says in the first three verses, the Lord is. And he's speaking about God. He's talking about God. You ever talk about God? Like in a good way, right? You talk about God, God is good, God is great, God is powerful, God is holy, God is righteous. But then... David stops talking about God, and he starts talking about himself. He starts to look at himself, and he starts to internalize the truth of verse 1 through 3, and he starts to bring that to, to himself, and he realizes if God is my shepherd, then even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is he doing? He is appropriating what he knows about God to his life. Listen, friend, no sermon is worth anything to you until you have applied it to your life. Until you have appropriated the truths and the promises being preached uh, into your own heart. And David has done that, and you realize that he turns the phrasing around, he now says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord, he is with me, and his rod and his staff, they comfort me, and he anoints my head with oil, and my cup overflows. He starts to tell us about what God is doing in his life. Is there anybody here this morning that has a testimony that can say, I know that God is on my side. I know that God has been good to me. And you know, those testimonies, are oh, not just for good memories. Those testimonies also so that you can look at your future and say and talk like this. I've got to go to the doctor in the morning, but I'm not going to be afraid because the Lord is with me. I've got to go talk to a judge in the morning, but I'm going to trust God for justice because the Lord is with me. I've got to go and apply for that job and from what I hear, there are better people, better qualified than me, but the Lord is with me. And I'm going to go into that situation, and I'm going to know what to say, and I'm going to know how to say it. Come on, somebody, because the Lord is with me. When you start talking like that, you appropriated the promise of God for yourself. And David says this. He says, he anoints my head with oil. And my cup is overflowing. And he uses this expression. He says he prepares a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. Here's what I want you to see. Green pasture. Quiet water. Wolf. You got that? Green pastures quiet water, wolf, not Brother Mark, he's not the wolf, you got to look beyond that. (laughs) And here's what the the lamb is saying, because now the lamb is talking. He said, because the Lord is my shepherd, he prepares a table before me in the presence of the wolf. I can see the wolf, I can hear the wolf, but I'm not going to fear the wolf. In fact, I'm just going to eat my meal and drink my water because that wolf can't get to me because the Lord is with me. God says to you today, I'm going to set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You know, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, there was a a ruckus in our church, and some people split off and made a a big deal about some things. And what you don't realize is that when when you hurt a pastor, pastors generally are mature, and so you heard a pastor, they're going to forgive you, they're going to love you, they're going to restore you, they don't hold grudges, good pastors don't. But that doesn't mean that their family wasn't he- hurt too. And that what somebody did to the pastor didn't actually affect somebody else. In fact, most of the time, it hurts the people who hurt you more than you itself, yourself. And so this thing had happened, and we were, we were all hurt. My dad went about his business, about his life. But those wounds were still there. And I went to a youth camp. And when I was at the youth camp, the people who had caused all this problem, they had since moved on to another church to cause problems over there. And uh, they, they looked at and they saw me and they said, Isaac, we'd like to take you to dinner. I said, I'm 15. I don't have any money. Let's go to dinner. And while I was sitting there at dinner, drinking a Dr. Pepper that they paid for, the Lord brought this to my heart. I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'll take care of you. I'll take the dread and the fear of the wolf out. And I'll let you enjoy the blessing that I have for your life. I want you to notice that David concludes by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you realize this or not, but this morning, when you came to church, you were being followed. Some of you got the heebie-jeebies right there. What do you mean I was being followed? In fact, tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're going to be followed too. And when you do go to that doctor's appointment, you're being followed there. Because he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God says, I have sinned. I have sent the double blessing to chase you around. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Mercy. So that when you fail and you... Mess up and you you think God doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. And you want to you wanna sen- sense that God is no longer your father. Mercy steps in and says, nope, that's out of the way. You are a child of God. You are a child of grace. Come on, somebody. You are a part of the family of God. And when you run into a situation where you need an advantage, goodness steps in and says, I'll take this. I'll open the door. I'll give you favor. I'll provide a means of escape for you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to close by just saying this. Nobody can be your everything. Jesus alone can be your everything. Some of you have had a lot of pastors. You've been in faith a long time. Some of you were under the ministry of Pastor Ramos. Anybody remember Pastor Ramos? Come on, Pastor Ramos, people. Say amen. That was a man of God. I got to be his roommate on a trip to Israel once. What a privilege. I had no idea. He had no idea we'd be standing in the same spot someday. He was gentle, and kind, and I don't know if he was that way his whole life, but the part of the life that I saw, he was already older, that was who he was, he was a shepherd, and then he passed away, and God raised up Pastor De La Garza, and that was a man with vision and fire for God, and he wanted to see all of people saved, and how many of you got to be under Pastor De La Garza? And then the Lord called him home. And for a a real brief moment, perhaps, the Lord raised up one of our elders, Sister Addie. And she led the flock through a tempestuous time because of her commitment to God. And while everybody was saying, you know, the church is going to close down, she was saying, no way, Jose. And then God sent this youngster in here named Isaac. No wife, no kids. Anybody been under his ministry? Lord, help you. And I don't know if I'll be your last pastor. Some, some of you may outlive me, and, and you might have another pastor someday. These are all gifts God gives to our life, but they're all seasonal. Pastor Ramos' season was ten years. Forty years. Pastor Jesse's was ten. I've been here seven. They're seasonal. But you know, there's a shepherd who's not seasonal. There's a shepherd who was there with Abraham, and Abraham died, and the shepherd kept living. He was there with Isaac, and Isaac died, and the shepherd kept living. He was there with Jacob, and Jacob died, and the shepherd kept living. He was there with David, and David died, and the shepherd kept living. He was there with Pastor Ramos, and Pastor Ramos died, but the shepherd kept living. He was there with Pastor Jesse, and Pastor Jesse died, but the shepherd kept living. And he's here with Pastor Isaac, and Pastor Isaac's going to die someday or go in the rapture. But guess what? There is a shepherd who is from eternity to eternity. He is from the past to the future. Come on, somebody. Stand on your feet and celebrate the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep he is the eternal shepherd he is the God who cares the God who loves the God who is active in your life he'll never be impeached he'll never resign he'll never quit he will never die because he has conquered the grave and death and hell come on somebody celebrate Jesus king of kings And Lord of lords, the slayer of the wolves, the destroyer of the powers of darkness, the light of the world, the door of the sheep. He is my all in all. I want to invite you into this altar tonight or this morning. And I just want you to come to the shepherd and just enjoy his presence for a little bit. Because here's what happened. Here's what happened. David said he talked about God, and then he talked to himself, and then he talked to God. And he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He was saying, I know you. I can talk to you. Would you do that this morning? Would you just come into this altar and just talk to the shepherd? Just draw near to the shepherd this morning? Every member of the flock should be in this altar this morning. Draw near to Him because He cares. Draw near to Him because He loves. Draw near to Him because He does not fail. Draw near to Him because He is compassionate and kind. Because He will meet your need. Out of the abundance of His goodness and mercy.